Well, good morning again, church. I'm excited to be here with you this morning, like I said earlier. And if you've got a Bible and want to go to Psalm 10, that's where we'll be this morning. If you <clears throat> trying to um, theologically explain a coincidence is tricky. Uh, so I'm not going to try. I'm just going to tell you about one. You can interpret it how you want to. I was uh, driving home the other day from work listening to uh, the news on the radio, and I heard an interview with the director of a new movie called American Honey. So based on the interview and the trailer, I'm going to say probably not a family-friendly movie, um, that caveat out there, but the interview was fascinating. The movie and the story the director was telling about the movie, the movie's about those magazine crews, they're called mag crews, those salesmen that go to your door to sell you magazines. That's what the movie's about. Typically they come from a rough background and they tell you that they're part of this business venture, this really reputable business. And if you buy a magazine from them, you'll help them up their quotas, meet their quotas, they'll get bonuses, they'll rise up the ranks. So I get home, I'm driving home, listening to that interview. I walk in the front door, hug my boys, take them into the backyard to go down the slide, and I hear the doorbell ring through the house. Who do you think it is? It is a magazine salesman. Okay, you think I'm making that up? Breeshan read my sermon this week. We talked about mag crews, and guess who rang Breeshan's door yesterday? <laughs> a magazine salesman. Jim Chester had not been approached by a magazine salesman, so I don't know what that means about him. <clears throat> I will say that the interview I just heard as I was driving home really shaped the conversation I had with that young man standing at my door. It turns out that these mag crews are made up almost entirely of kids who have been orphaned or who've run away, almost entirely. And that it is a really rough job. They go from city to city, staying in hotels, There's usually a lot of drugs and alcohol and abuse. It's a really rough job. The director of the movie said, these crews prey on the vulnerable, the vulnerable. There's this really chilling scene they played a clip from in the movie of the manager of one of these crews approaching this young girl, maybe 16 years old, in a parking lot. And she goes up to her just three lines. And they were playing on repeat in my mind while I talked to this young man. She approaches the girl and she says, you got anybody who's going to miss you? And the girl says, not really. She says, good, you're hired. Good, you're hired. Legislation can't seem to stop this industry because the businesses are really fluid. They're constantly changing names. They don't leave much of a paper trail. And when charges are filed against one crew, they typically just split up and form two or three new ones. Right? Then, like I told you, there's all kinds of drugs, abuse, alcohol, really dangerous place, but also Nearly everyone who's ever participated in these magazine crews will confirm that if you do not meet your quotas, they'll leave you wherever they are. I read an article in The Atlantic about this afterwards because I was so interested in it. And a young woman, probably 19 years old, said that she'd been selling magazines door to door for three years and had been left 11 times in three years. Just left. 
An official in that same article said that selling magazines door to door in America is the number one worst job for a child in this country. Number one worst job. But then he said, but right now, we just don't know how to stop it. Which is a strategy question. Namely, how do you win? How do you protect vulnerable children from those people, those entities, those systems that prey on them? And I, I tell you that story not because I hate magazines, but because it's a really helpful window and what I want to think about with you today on Orphan Sunday. When churches across the world are thinking about the condition of orphans, I, I want you to think with me about vulnerability and evil and the children they get caught in between. This story and the kids who knock on your door, you've probably been approached by one of these kids selling a magazine, and you probably will not get that magazine if you buy it. But the question these kids raise is, how do you protect kids from evil? How do you win? What's the game plan? If you've ever played pickup basketball, you know humanity's default answer to this question. Because inevitably, there is a guy or girl on your team who shoots a three-pointer every time they touch the ball, right? Everybody smiles in here, shaking your head. It doesn't matter where they are on the court, as long as they're beyond the three-point arc, they're going to shoot if they touch the ball. And then when they inevitably miss and everybody runs back down to the other side, they kind of drag their feet to half court like, oh, man, I'm super winded, guys, super winded. But as soon as the ball's turned over, they're like, give me the ball, give me the ball, right? You've been there. And then they shoot another three-pointer and they miss it. In their mind, they're thinking two words very clearly. Offense wins. Offense wins. And that's kind of ingrained into all of us. You don't just see it in sports. It shows up all over the place. I was looking at the Washington Post the other day and caught a headline, caught my attention. Philippine leader to meet China's president in charm offensive. So if you've been following the news lately, you know the Philippine leader is not very charming. I don't know if it's going to work. Now, I'm not saying that offense isn't necessary sometimes. You've got to have offense to win. But that official who has seen every form of offense-minded legislation coming top-down against these magazine crews absolutely fail to slow the industry down at all. It's like you and me playing pickup basketball, looking at our teammate lob up another air ball three-pointer. Like somebody bench this guy. We've got to try something else. So why isn't offense working? Well, I think it's because evil is a bit better at offense than we are. Psalm 10 is really helpful here. That's where we're going to be today. It draws this picture of how evil works. Evil works like a lion. The wicked hunt down the weak offense catching them in the schemes they devise. Their mouths are full of lies and threats. They lie in wait to catch the helpless and drag them off. 
If you're picturing something you've seen on National Geographic Channel, you've got the right idea. Evil in the world is like a pack of lions waiting in the tall grass, crouching there, watching these hurting animals. And they're just waiting for that moment when one of those little calves gets separated from the herd and they'll pounce like that. Offense, pounce. You got anybody who's gonna miss you? Good, you're hired. So what happens in that scenario, the innocent are crushed, the psalmist says, and they collapse and they fall victim to superior strength. And that's what I mean by evil being better at offense. So if you've ever watched one of those nature documentaries during one of those chase scenes with lions and wolves chasing some little weak and defenseless baby animal, right? You find yourself, if you're like me, thinking about the cameraman or the camera woman. And you think if she would just like cough or something, or if her cell phone would just go off unexpectedly, then maybe this lion would be distracted long enough that that little baby animal could just get away. Right? Don't you think that? If they would just run a little interference, the show might not be as good, but that animal might live another day. But the scene plays out, and the wicked say to themselves, oh, God will never notice. He covers his face, and he never sees. Like a cameraman who just keeps the footage rolling, but won't interfere. Only God does notice. And it's in his noticing that he rises up to show us his plan for winning. And his plan's really simple, defense. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Don't forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account, but you, God, you see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief, you take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless, the orphan. Break the arm of the wicked man, call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them, you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless the orphan, and the oppressed, so that mere earthly mortals, evil, will never again strike terror. I got to do work camp a couple summers ago. We were deep in Orange Mound working on this house that was in really bad shape. And there was this young guy who's probably 19, we'll call him Thomas, who was living in the house. And he was always smiling and he helped us every day. And he's so glad that we were working on the house. And the home was right next door to the Orange Mound Outreach Ministries led by a guy named Reverend Tucker. And Reverend Tucker, in fact, owned the home and Thomas was working for him. So one day over lunch, lunch break, I asked Reverend Tucker about Thomas. He smiled. He said, Thomas is a good one. 
He said, but you know, he came from a really bad place. Grew up in a really abusive home. He was beaten and abused by a number of different stepdads along the way. And right about the time he was 12 or 13, one of those nights of abuse was so bad that he fled in the night, that he found a place, a window he could crawl through an abandoned home where he slept for a while with roaches crawling on him at night. He begged for food, he stole food when he couldn't find anybody to give him some. He said, one day, Sunday morning, I'll never forget, I looked out the window at the Mount Pisgah CME Church, which is across the street. All the cars were lined up for Sunday service and there was this little boy going car to car, looking in every window and testing the door handles. It was Thomas. So, so, so pause right here. I was uh, working with a, a guy at Shelby County Correction Center, the Pino Farm, not long ago, incarcerated, whose story is almost exactly the same as Thomas's. Only at that moment, the person who approached him was a guy who slid drugs in his pocket and told him to stand on the corner. So Thomas is there, he's going car to car. Think of all of the people who might have approached him at that moment. Instead, it was Reverend Tucker who walked up behind him, put his hand on Thomas's shoulder, Thomas jumped. He said, why don't you come inside, young man? And he fed him, gave him a place to stay, and he ultimately adopted Thomas. Now Thomas works for the Orange Mound Outreach Ministries. He's been there for years, and he is always smiling. So if you think about that story through the lens of Psalm 10, you begin to see the truth of the story. You see, in God's mind, evil feeds its insatiable hunger by picking on those who can't defend themselves. Evil is going to eat the easiest thing it can get a hold of. And the easiest thing are the most vulnerable. And the most vulnerable are kids. Kids like Thomas, who were orphaned, alone, outside the walls of the herd. And this is why I think God is so concerned about orphans throughout Scripture from the very beginning to the end. It's not only because God is compassionate, like this psalm says, and it pains him to see any of his children in pain, but also, and this is key, because evil strengthens its force in the world by consuming the vulnerable. And with every vulnerable child, evil takes into itself its strength in the world increases. Take the sex industry, for example. All of us would agree that from pornography to prostitution and everywhere in between, that that is a vile thing. It's, it's a sickness in the world. What we often forget, though, is that most research indicates that 90% of the women involved in the sex industry were abused as children. 90%. Becca Stevens, she runs Thistle Farms, a ministry in Nashville for women coming out of prostitution. She tells a story in one of her books about a woman who was abused so many times as a child, she cannot remember the names of everyone who did it to her. Can you imagine that? Like lions, they lie in wait to catch the helpless. 
and drag them off. Unless, unless there is a good defense. Unless there's a good defense. You see, when you put this Psalm, Psalm 10, about God's plan to defend the orphan in conversation with what he tells us elsewhere, like Isaiah 117, where he tells us to defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the orphan, he says. Or the words of James 127, where pure religion is looking after widows and orphans and their distress. When you do that, this strategy for defeating evil in the world begins to emerge. And you realize that if evil feeds its hunger by preying on the vulnerable kids outside the pack, well, if, if we could just pull them back in, that the lions would starve. The evil would starve. You gotta love kids. That's what we're talking about. Man, I'd be upset if they weren't here. We defend an orphan, what I'm saying is, we defend an orphan for the sake of that child. Absolutely, amen, praise God for that. But we also defend orphans for the sake of God and for the sake of God's world. I got to sit in on a meeting with families at Highland who have adopted or who are doing foster care a few weeks ago. And 10 minutes into the meeting, everybody's just weeping. Because it's one thing to talk about defending the orphan and another thing to do it. Turns out defending the orphan is really hard. It's really hard because the evil one is so good at offense. And that's what Grant and Jessica have now waded into. They have put themselves between a vulnerable one and the evil one. And that's a really hard place to be. And yet, if God, through Grant and Jessica, can defend this one beautiful, vulnerable child in her most vulnerable moment, maybe evil will never again strike terror in her life, like the psalmist says. And maybe God's calling you that. Maybe adoption, foster care, Maybe that's something that you could do. Today, we're offering this class right after service, 10 o'clock in the chapel, about adoption and foster care. We have a visitor from DCS who's coming to explain some of the process. You'll get to hear from families at Highland who've taken that step before. And maybe God's calling you to, to do that. Just, just go, like, dip your toe in the water. Check it out. But maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe God's calling you to, to tutor a child at La Rose, or maybe God's calling you to volunteer at the new Timothy Hill site east of us when it opens, or, or maybe God's calling you to fill up a packed and love bag for a child coming into foster care. Maybe not. Maybe not. But God is calling all of us to the defense. And if you want to be part of the defense, what you can do is give next week. Next week, this church, if you're a visitor, I'm just happy you get to hear this. Next week, this church, these people sitting around you are going to give $250,000 to the best ministries in this city, this country, and around the world. And much of that money 
goes directly to defending kids. We give thousands of dollars to Agape's FIT program to help homeless moms keep their kids. We give thousands of dollars to Hope Works to help parents who are unemployed find jobs so they can provide for their kids with dignity. We give thousands of dollars to LaRose Ministry, one of the lowest performing schools in the state where many of you are volunteering your time. Thousands goes to children's homes in Arkansas, Mississippi, Tennessee, New York, and thousands of dollars will go into our adoption assistance fund and our new fund to help families who are fostering. Here's our promise at Highland. If you are going to adopt or foster a child, we will help you pay for it. And when I say we, I mean we. Next week, we'll help you pay for it. You know, coaches, some coaches say the best offense is a good defense. I've even heard the defense wins championships. I don't know about that. I was always picked last for basketball at recess. <laughs> Apparently, offense nor defense were my strengths. But I do know that if we, if this church manages to defend one orphan next week, it'll be worth it. Might even read about it in one of those magazines. Will you stand and sing with me? If you have something on your heart you'd like prayer, if you'd like to give your life to Jesus today and be adopted into his family, I'll be down here at front. would love to receive you. Or one of our shepherds will be in the back. Let's sing together. Live in our hearts, fill this body, stir our spirits, help us.